I think that it's about people, perseverance, discipline. You know, always being positive, always being thankful to be able to even do what we have done. She's life. Maybe all in. Give it your full heart. It's just the hero's journey. This is How to Fairy Tale. Welcome back to the How to Fairy Tale podcast. I'm here with two amazing people, um, Julian and Kirsten, and they've recently released a book, which is absolutely fantastic. We want to talk about that today. They're doing uh, living their life um, and their dreams as a couple, which is so cool to hear. So we want to ask them as many personal questions as we possibly can today and just get all the nitty gritty. And uh, yeah, and I got Miranda here, my amazing co-host. Julian, can I start at, with one thing with you? Not only are you guys amazing finance gurus and you know a lot of stuff um, about personal finance, but you're also a, a fantastic cook. So tell me the last thing that you made that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the last thing that I made uh, that was absolutely fantastic, um, it might just be lunch today. I was actually lunch was good. pretty pleased lunch was good. Okay. with lunch. It was literally just uh, pasta uh, penne with, with meat sauce. And normally I do uh, like the meat sauce, it's like 40% mushrooms. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. There was like no mushroom. It was just all meat. Um, <laughs> and so it was just like that. I think it's it's one of those meals that I think um, whenever comfort you, it's comfort food at mm-hmm. the right time, like we're in that sweet spot transition from summer to fall, where you're basically like wearing a hoodie and shorts because you don't really know what the day is going to throw at you. But comfort, warm food with like a nice little side salad still feels like a nice little balanced meal. So that was the last thing that I was pretty comfortable uh, that I, that I really enjoyed. And then I'll I'll grill some fish which I always love. Grilled whole fish. I'll do that this weekend. So if you ask me 3 days from now, I'll probably change the answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um can you guys give us for those who maybe aren't as familiar with your story, give us a quick snapshot of your of your story and and what you guys do? Yeah, so we um, are a married couple. We met in 2012 and got married in 2015. And when we met, we were on two different ends of the financial spectrum. I was what people would call normal. I um, <laughs> used credit card debt <laughs> sparingly. No, I used credit card debt excessively. I believed that I could always out-earn my spending. I was just overly optimistic about my prospects and about my financial plan. And Julian was one of those weird money nerds who had a very early grasp on financial literacy early, and he was far more responsible uh, with his with his money. And so when we started dating, our first conversation about money was actually our first argument about money, and it led to a breakup. Long story short, uh, <laughs> Julian said some choice words that caused us to break up. <laughs> it was all his fault, but we did recover because both of us were kind of curious of like, wow, this money thing's got a grip on us if we're willing to end a relationship with somebody that mm-hmm. we both kind of love and respect. And so through the process of working through our own financial challenges, we realized that we actually had been learning a lot of things about money that we needed to unlearn, which mm-hmm. kind of sparked a journey into paying off $200,000 of debt and pursuing wow. financial independence and then mm-hmm. creating a platform called Rich and Regular where we share our stories along the way. And that's kind of where we are now. Rich and Regular started as a blog and over five years, it's kind of expanded into this multimedia platform that includes a podcast, 
um, a digital uh, video series called Money on the Table and our book, Cashing Out, which came out in June. That's awesome. I think one of the coolest things about, about you two, like getting to interact with you, was that you are creative and you go outside the like sort of normal bounds, like money on the table. I think it's so cool. You guys brought financial conversations and food, and and food mm-hmm. because that's you. It's like authentic to to Julian and, and just what you guys do as a family and as a married couple, like into the conversation, even though it's like taboo, don't talk about money at the table. And you guys are like, no, nah, that's who we are. We're going to do it. And <laughs> yeah. um, it's, uh, you got have to check out that if you get a chance, it'll also like really helps as someone I'm more like you, uh, Kirsten, like, I think I'm the, the free spirited one when it comes to money. I'm the mm-hmm. fun one, right? That's yes. what I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Paul's, Paul's the YOLO one. Like, we'll only get the opportunity to do this once. We're like, uh-uh. That's me. Yeah. And, and the food really helps because I'm like, I could talk about money around food because otherwise I don't want to talk about it. But then I'm like, oh, okay. There's some wisdom, some things I need to know, but you kind of disarm me with the food, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly it what is. you're going it's, for. It's inception. It's, it, it, was, it was really just the idea that Look, we, we, we've tried and failed uh, thousands of times of trying to have conversations or end up conversations about money with people. Um, and they always just find a way to wiggle out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And even when we just started thinking about like traditional financial education, if you tell people, hey, you know, sign up for my webinar, like, yeah, a couple of people will sign up. But I mean, if you say, hey, I'm going to show you how to finally use that, you know, Kamado style grill that you've always wanted to do. I'm going to make a coffee rubbed ribeye. It's like, Hell yeah, sign me up. Like, I want to do that. And then while we're there, we're going to have this conversation about money. I'm going to force you uh, into it. Right. So, yeah, we just wanted to make it entertaining because at the end of the day, you know, as much as we say we value education, we really value entertainment. And so it's just a matter of saying, all right, well, how can we make it entertaining? How can we make it fun? Yeah. Um, I was doing some research and it's really interesting because statistically you're, I think you have between a six and 20% chance of becoming a millionaire in America, which is actually really high, especially considering a lot of the other, your chances of other things. But, um, why do you think that people, a lot of people that I talk to, they really don't think like that. You know, they think, oh, I'll never be rich. I'll never, you know, kind of get out of my scenario. I'm just going to be this in this, you know, level for the rest of my life. Why do you think they have that mindset and how do they get out of it? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a lot of factors at play. I think there's obviously the systemic factors that have kind of plagued the country for hundreds of years, Mm -hmm. centuries of years where everybody just hasn't had access to the same capital at the same time. But Mm -hmm. there's also this larger invisible force, which is consumerism. And we have this chapter in our book called The Purpose of Income, where we're basically stating the facts that in America, in a consumerist culture, we're exposed to anywhere between six to 10,000 ads a day. You only have about 60,000 thoughts a day. Things like, I need to brush my teeth. What's that over there? What's that smell? This itches. You only have about (laughs) 60,000 of those. (laughs) I don't know why I'm thinking of itching. Well, I know I'm thinking of itching. I think it's a bottom. Julian has a weird itch thing on something on my back. So if you see me doing this, it's I think it's a bite. I don't know. It's a BTD. I don't know. (laughs) But it itches. The point is, like one out of five thoughts that you have in your head is an advertisement. And when you've been exposed to that Mm -hmm. for a long time, they actually start to sound like your own thoughts, which is the crazy Mm -hmm. part about like Mm -hmm. the exposure to advertising. 
And so what happens when you don't give your money a purpose, when you don't give it an explicit intention, somebody else does. And you don't always realize that that's mm. what's happening, but you know the brand recognition. We, our son is five and he knows what a mm. Nike is, what a Tesla is. He knows all of these brands. His favorite airline is Delta, as if you've ever had to compare features. But he just knows because that's the brand is embedded in his head. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, because someone else has already given their income a purpose, they're stuck in this cycle where they don't feel like they have control. They don't feel like it's an option to get rid of the $500 car note or the $4,500 mortgage or the $3,000 handbag habit or whatever it is. And it feels like, okay, that is set in stone. Now what's left is not a lot. And that's why what you're saying feels impossible because I'm only mm-hmm. looking at what's left instead of like the whole picture. I would also mm. just add to that. Um, is we're human beings, and role modeling is a very important part of, yeah. mm-hmm. of what we envision, right? And so, a lot of people don't think that they can ever be rich because they don't see or engage with a lot of uh, rich people. It's something that um, is just outside of their field of vision. It's just in their thoughts. They have preconceived notions about it, or they are subject to again the media and marketing messaging that tells them, "Well, then this is what it looks like," since you've never mm. seen it. And mm-hmm. it, it's just a vicious system that really makes it seem um, unattainable. In addition to uh, us living within a system where it's designed to extract as much of your money as possible, right? right. And so right. a lot of what you're doing is going to require literacy. It's going to require willpower, but mm-hmm. it's also going to require like some active, you know, sort of blocking of all of or rejecting mm-hmm. of all of mm-hmm. these things so that you don't fall into uh, this vicious funnel. Um, hmm. which does not really work in your favor. Hmm. So if I take what you guys are saying about money and apply it to maybe fulfilling some lifelong dreams that you've had or whatever that may be, maybe it's just spending more time with the grandkids or more time with your own kids, or maybe it's starting a business or just traveling more, whatever whatever it could be for the individual. How, do, how are those two things, did that help connect the dots at all? Maybe Kirsten at all, or like whatever you need, like whatever discipline you had to have to like pay off the debt and get to the next thing. Did you, was any of it motivated by like, well, this is what we want in the future? Or was it more just like, well, we're just going to do this because we're going to do it. Or like, how are those two things connected at all? If for me, they were directly motivated and connected to each other because I'm very rewards driven and mm. very like outcome oriented. And so with money, the decisions that we were making had really quick um, like re- results, right? It's not like mm-hmm. weight loss where, you know, when you go to the gym and you spend 40 minutes on a treadmill, you come off that thing looking like, all right, I know my clothes aren't going to fit anymore. And I know <laughs> I'm going to have like the body of my dreams. And the reality is very little has happened with, you know, your, your, your physique after one workout, but mm-hmm. with money, the minute you get rid of a bill, it's like instant that you have this mm-hmm. money back mm-hmm. in your account or the money you, the minute you decide that you're not going to spend in this way, there was just a much shorter feedback loop for me. And so mm-hmm. the distance between the life that I wanted, the life where I didn't have to rush and go to work every day, or, mm-hmm. you know, just worry about, money in in a very like daily sense that distance shortened every time I hit a goal and so it just became much easier for me to kind of wrap my head around why we were doing what we were doing because I could Mm -hmm. see the money like tangibly it was Mm -hmm. different when we started investing because that's when it kind of got boring you kind of put your money in the market and you just let it (laughs) like (laughs) grow on its own there's nothing we're passive investors so there was nothing to do there but during that debt payoff phase and during 
those early years, it was very, very rewarding to see the impact almost immediately. Hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Because I think about, for me, just in general, whether it's money or another discipline in my life, that my wife's like super disciplined. Like she, she's like the kind of person, like you don't have to tell, tell I'm her. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm Julian in this scenario. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This one. Yeah. yeah. Like when I saw her get her master's program, we were married when she got, when she got her master's. Right. And for me, I had like all these like random jobs, like kind of around the house and like every day we'd wake up and she's like already like doing like her thing. And she's got a list of what she's going to do. And I didn't know that's how she was. So we got married and she's like, what are you doing today? And I was literally like, I have no idea what I'm doing today. She's like, don't you have like three jobs? And I was like, I think, I mean, I did yesterday. Maybe I still do <laughs> like looking through my phone to see who's texted me. Like when boss told me I have to come in today. And the, for me, like, she's just naturally disciplined. What I've learned um, is that I have to have like a reason I'm doing it. Like, I think for her, it's just like, it feels orderly and she likes that. And yes. that's what it seems like to an extent for me. Yeah. I have to be like, there has to be a reason for this. Cause I'm not like that. If you're going to make me go through the pain of like paying off debt or the pain of like working out, like you've got to tell me why we're doing this. And if I, if I don't have that, it's not worth it to me. I'd rather go eat a candy bar and like Same. spend the five bucks. On the card. <laughs> Same. And I actually have to create reasons when there isn't like mm. a tangible one. Like sometimes mm. doing it is just, oh, it's the right thing to do. Like, cool. But I actually create a reason, whether it's creating a celebration. So like after 75 days of doing this thing, I'm going to get, you know, a really nice bottle of wine or oh, like I'm going to treat myself to something. So in scenarios, like, again, as we've progressed in our financial journey, the, res the, the outcomes aren't as tangible or as immediate. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to like game the system and just create <laughs> new outcomes. Yeah. I give myself prizes and pats on the back, like regularly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, so Julian, you actually have a culinary degree. Um, so how do people balance kind of living out their dream? You know, maybe they're, they want to be a singer, you know, and there's that phase of being a starving, starving artist. How do they balance that with also, you know, becoming financially independent? Is there a way to find balance or is it picking what's more important to you? Uh, you know, I do not know that I have an eloquent answer to that <laughs> question, but, but I will say as far as I'm concerned, um, it, it really required me to get comfortable with, like, I, I realized that, like, this is, I have, I've lost count, but I've changed sort of careers. I'm like a chameleon. Like, mm -hmm. I, I have done a bunch of things mm -hmm. pretty well, right? And mm -hmm. then I get bored, and then I move on to the next thing, and I try to master that thing, and then I move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think most people struggle with that. I think they're, mm -hmm. they're far more comfortable with saying, well, this is who I am. And even when they are or become that thing, it's like, mm. that may not even really be who they decided to be. It could be that, mm. well, my environment decided this for me, or my parents mm. or guardians or siblings or something like that. I come from a long line of educators, and so therefore mm. I should be or will do those things or military and so on. And I didn't really, it, to some extent, I fell into that. My entire family is from Jamaica, so obviously travel and tourism is like the vast majority of, you know, the economy there. So. I had uh, a lot of uncles and aunts who worked in hotels. And so um, naturally, like it, for me, the fact that I spent the early parts of my career in the hospitality industry is not really that much of a stretch of the imagination because I knew that there were people that did that and they lived pretty good lives, at least by my standards then. And so therefore, that's what I decided to do. That's actually not why what initially forced me to jump into cooking, but, you know, mm -hmm. I, I could imagine it. Um, but yeah, I just think that, you know, it takes it takes 
uh, it, it takes people growing really comfort with saying, you know what, I'm not going to do or be this thing uh, mm. anymore. And uh, I remember literally uh, just the other day, I was watching uh, a little video clip from Ryan Holiday. Um, and he was mentioning something to the effect of like why people struggle so much with uh, redefining themselves. And it's because they don't want to, they, they don't want to go through the process of being like a beginner again. Mm, that yeah. feels Like I've discarded this identity. I've discarded this idea. And that feels very much like failure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you don't naturally just wake up and welcome failure. Most people don't do that. Um, and I think I just kind of um, realized after, I guess, going through a couple of changes that it's actually really fulfilling. Um, mm -hmm. Say, you know what, I don't care what people say. I expect these people to say these things, but I'm willing to move forward because I have this interest or there's this thing that I'm just really drawn to and I really want to move forward with it. Mm -hmm. And 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 you also have to understand that you're not going to get like immediate results. Obviously, right. you just started out. Right. You're not going to be good at whatever it is. But uh, I have just always really enjoyed that grind. Like, mm -hmm. I love the idea of being able to look back and say, man, I used to really suck at this thing. Or I used to just think that that was something that I, I could never do. And now mm -hmm. look at me, I've done it. Um, I, that, that that doesn't haunt me anymore. Now I actually mm -hmm. welcome that thing. I'm in a really interesting space. So Yeah. And, and Kirsten, on that point, you have something that you say that I love. And you're a recovering perfectionist. And you talk about... Um, not having to be the best at something, you know, doing something even without having to strive to be the best. And I just, I love that because Paul and I are both that way. Um, when we first got married, I don't know, we tried something like golf or something and we were both horrible at it. And we were like, well, never doing this again because it's, <laughs> it is really hard to like not be good at something, especially when you have something that, I don't know, maybe you're good at, you know, you're like, well, I'm just going to do the other thing. Um, but I love that you talk about that. Yeah, it's it's uh, what Julian calls welcoming the discomfort. I've never really mm -hmm. been good at that. I've comfort I thought was one of my defining identities. Like mm -hmm. I just need to be comfortable. But what comfortable started to be like and expand into was just like sheltered, <laughs> cushioned, right. like yeah. not not experiencing the other the full range of emotions that make you know human life so fulfilling. And so learning how to embrace discomfort i've had to practice it i still don't immediately jump into it but i've found ways to make myself less comfortable over time so that i realize like that it's not gonna kill me like it's not right. it's not as much of a threat as my brain makes it sound like it is because you know it's yeah. important yeah yeah i like that practicing the discomfort yeah and how do you and this is a question for both of you how or what character trait do you need to have if, if that's what it is leave something that's going well to jump into something I, something that's uncomfortable because it's one thing to jump into something that's uncomfortable you can be like okay i can build the resilience to do that but then how do you to, sometimes to, to get to the next thing you got to let go of the last thing and particularly if, if you are good at it or you have some success in that area how do you let go of that mm, that's a great question i think my leading trait would be curiosity just mm. just a, a a general curiosity of like what if it, what if i do like it like think about mm. all of the things that they you know they say things are an acquired taste the first time i tried beer i hated it <laughs> and now i'll drink <laughs> i'll drink a pint there are a number of things that i hated the first time that i tried them but over time i learned to like them or i at least appreciated what they did for mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. and so 
I think my defining trait is just around curiosity. When I've got enough evidence that something is good or working, I'm like, well, dang, I wonder if there's something else out there, even if it's mm. not better than what I'm doing now, it could just be different. And that could build a different mm. skill set or muscle or experience catalog, whatever. Mm. Um, that's not a thing, an experience catalog. <laughs> but- <laughs> I wish you could see Julian's faces every time hey, Kirsten says something faces. like he's it's like he's like all these different faces. It's so great. It's really funny. I love it. <laughs> this is what I live with. I live with it. Every day is like this. You have a very nice experience catalog. Yes. <laughs> can I can I say this though? Uh, in a rare moment, I 100% agree with Kirsten. Um, that was exactly uh, the word that I was going to say. Uh, I was going to try to add like a descriptor. I thought you were going to say resilience. No, I, I think it's, I was going to say like a true sense is exactly what you said, like a true sense of curiosity. I think a lot of people use that word, um, but I, I, and I've used it kind of like flippantly, but I think at this point in my life, um, I, I, I have a much deeper appreciation for curiosity because I know mm. just how much, just incredible wonder that it brings to my life. Like when you truly are willing to uh, embrace your curiosity and explore it. And I can say that as someone that's living a, a, a pretty creative life right now that is filled with things that I once thought um, I would never be good at, would never do, um, and I'm at best might be associated with, but I would have to partner with someone else who's actually really good mm-hmm. at it and just like attach my name to it. <laughs> so now <laughs> I'm at a point now where it's like, wow, it's very, um, it's 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 amazing to to, to be in this place because there's so many things that were just like deferred. And I was like, and I'll get to it like in my sixties, like bird watching. It was like I, I get, I'll get to it. But like it's not top uh, uh, top of mm-hmm. mind. I will also say, going back to her point, which is why I'm so amazed by what she said, um, and going back to your point about my sort of culinary past, um, a lot of it I draw back to my early makeup and, and learning how to cook and understanding food. Kirsten's absolutely right. When when you're eating something for the first time, it's gonna shock your senses. Right. Like it's same thing with wine. You're trying wine for the first time, especially if you're drinking red, 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 and then you drink a white. Like it's like you're, you've already been sort of adjusted to one thing. And so this other sort of ingredient or flavor profile is going to shock the senses. And in most cases, that's not going to be a pleasurable experience. Mm-hmm. You haven't really tasted it yet. You've got to go through two or three more sips. You got to swirl it around. You got to do all these other things to sort of clear the palate a little bit. And then maybe at around that third time, that's when you really start to understand what it is. And so when I think about my mom, who uh, is is from Jamaica, she's a proud Jamaican. I remember when we first moved down here to the Atlanta area and she tried grits for the first time. She thought it was gross. And she would always say, like, I don't understand why people eat this thing. It's gross. And I said, well, mom, like, you know, it's just as bland as rice, but rice is a staple um, in your cuisine, right? And sometimes it just takes time. You got to go through that second or third time to taste it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's amazing. And we deal with the same thing with our five-year-old son these days, mm-hmm. right? Where he'll just mm-hmm. flat out say, I don't like this thing. Mm-hmm. But adults do the exact same thing when it comes to mm-hmm. some of these things that they say uh, that they are curious about, but we never really give ourselves two or three shots uh, mm-hmm. at all. Sort of do a one and done. If we don't like that first feeling, 
you know, adulting and the idea of wasting money. And we just come up with all kinds of reasons <laughs> as to why we shouldn't try that thing. And, uh, and I think we really do ourselves a disservice uh, when we hmm. do that. So it's like, hang in there. Don't expect the first sip to be amazing. Wait <laughs> right. for the second or third one and then see sort of what role that new thing can play in your life. And I think that's really one of the, the keys to sort of getting to a really good place and being willing to admit to like not liking something or not being one way because like mm-hmm. we really only give it one shot when we really should be giving it at least three. Hmm. That's really, that's really good. One thing that I think is really cool about you guys, and you're an example of this is, you know, you started out in culinary school and, you know, you kind of switch gears a little bit, but that passion for food is still at the heart of what you guys do today. And I think that's so cool because I think people, you know, I think early on, you kind of have these ideas of what your, your gifts or your interests are, and you think that there's one right way to do it, you know? And so you maybe go to school for that thing and you start on one career path, but I love how you guys have switched gears so that you're still doing what you love, just maybe not in the way that you thought at the outset, you know, and you, you get to work together. And I just think that that's really cool that you've kind of tweaked your life, you know, to where you are still there and you're doing what you love and what you're good at, but in the way that serves you guys the best. Yeah. Yes. And I've, I've tried to escape it. <laughs> I've tried <laughs> to run from it. I've tried to not be associated with it because I just felt like people were pigeonholing me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at almost every major juncture in my life, I've, I've been able to benefit from tapping back into that mm-hmm. original passion. And so it, it, it is pretty cool. I presume at some point I'll, I won't like it, but I don't know. Like I'm at this point, yeah. I'm just like, we'll see where this thing goes. But yeah, you know, I also just think about it as as uh, as one of the universal languages, and yeah. so it's allowed mm-hmm. to build relationships and understanding mm-hmm. a bunch of different things. Um, it, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, look, if I can eat things that I once thought were gross, yes, I can get along with people that I never thought that I would get along with. You know, <laughs> right? And so to me, that's just sort of how I'm built. And um, to your point, we incorporate that way of thinking uh, mm-hmm. into just about everything that we do. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting point about it being a universal language. There's, there's only, a, I think there's a handful of things that are like that. And I, I remember uh, one of the things I told my buddy was I've been all around the world and everyone likes to dance. Like little kids like to dance. Mm-hmm. Adults yeah. like to dance. Yeah. Elderly people like to dance. People like everybody likes every to culture, dance. Every culture, every country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, some some are you know some people are really good at some people aren't but it doesn't matter they just, everyone doesn't just matter. likes it music yeah. comes on and the natural human impulse is to dance and yeah. I think that's such a cool like food is I I've never thought about it that way but I'm like yeah you're so right like I've been to so many cultures and whether it's a grandma or this guy will pull me into their home and just like give me their food and instantly I'm like this is a piece of who you are even if I don't speak the same language as you or have the same values or same background like you've just given me a piece of who you are and I've literally taken it and I've accepted it. And it's really cool. I, I never thought about that, but yeah, it really opens, opens a lot of conversations that you can't open otherwise. It makes it easy to communicate. <laughs> yeah. with you, right? you t- I mean, I, I learned one thing about you and if I can sort of relate that to some type of cuisine or even just an ingredient, in most cases, that thing is going to be, might be connected to some kind of religious or spiritual holiday mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. that's the um, important to, to, to people uh, of your culture. Like it, it is very much a, uh, an avenue to learning about history and people mm-hmm. And so it's been really beneficial. Um, again, as much as I try to avoid it, uh, <laughs> it, it comes in super handy to be able to kind of tap into that. Mm-hmm. 
uh, one other thing that I, I really love about you guys is you're working together as a team. And um, that's been something that we've tried to do. And it's super, I think it's super important to our marriage. But a lot of people say, oh, I could never work with my spouse or I don't want to be around my spouse that much. Um, and we have kind of made it a priority to at least work on something together because I do think it brings us, always brings us back together where the tendency is just to go off in your own little workspace and, you know, not really communicate. So what are kind of the pros and cons of working together as a couple and how do you guys overcome some of those challenges? Yeah, I, that's a great question. The The pros are exactly what you state. Like when you've worked on a project with your partner, you learn different things about them, how they handle stress, how they think in real time, how their brain approaches problems, how their brain even sees things as problems. Mm -hmm. There are things that I see as problems as Julian's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, <laughs> this is a problem. So it just gives you another medium to try to learn mm -hmm. each other's emotional languages without like it being about the love that you have for each other. Mm -hmm. So that's always nice. It's like a little, a mirror projection where you can mm -hmm. kind of see how you both are without it being so personal. Mm -hmm. I think the cons are that you do spend a lot of time together. And one of the important aspects of a relationship and maintaining a level of intimacy is some space. You need to be able to miss miss the person. It needs to be like these clear boundaries right. where it's like, I am not talking to you as your business partner. I'm talking mm -hmm. to you as your wife, or in mm -hmm. this case, I'm talking to you as a friend or whatever it is. And so finding creative ways to create space without creating distance has been mm -hmm. a challenge. Mm -hmm. And then finding ways to like, create boundaries and conversations because I don't want it to be so rigid where it's like, we can only talk about business between the hours of 10 and two. And then at <laughs> two or three, if you have a thought, don't share it with me. Like, <laughs> right. <but> finding, <laughs> finding ways to redirect conversations or at least politely say like, I'm not in that headspace right now. Like I hear you. I'm sure it's a great idea. You're excited about it, but like, can we talk about it another time? That's kind of where we are now is just learning like how to communicate that like, one person may be really excited about something while the other person is completely exhausted by it. How do mm. we communicate that that's what's happening and not that I'm not listening or I'm not enthusiastic about whatever you have to say? Yeah, one of the things that's really helped us is is having like a safe word. Right? So <laughs> when I say this thing, that means like I'm, I'm serious and, you know, I'm not yeah. talking to you as well. Like it's like a hard left. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. I'm not talking like whatever zone we're in. It's like when I say that safe word, it's like you need to drop <laughs> that act, whatever that act is, right? Like, right. Serious. If you don't do this, the mortgage does not get paid. <laughs> or you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's like having that word, whatever it is, uh, to to help create like some 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 clarity. Um, because again, like when you're all of the above, when you're the lover, the co-parent, mm -hmm. yeah. the business partner, mm -hmm. the confidant, the when you're all of those, the accountability partner, like the, the list mm -hmm. goes on and on, communication can get, you know, pretty difficult. Right? Yeah, you need some shorthand yeah. to be like, yo, donuts, I do not want to talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's our word, our word is donuts. 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 Okay. <laughs> In my head, it was pineapples. Like, that's the first thing I thought of. That's a, that's a great like, word. But like, yeah, you can't get mad at that. You hear that word? Donuts, you're angry? Yeah. You're angry because someone says donuts? That sounds like a personal problem. Uh, you've got to check out Cashing Out. I've um, so much fun to read. Um, 
and one of the things that I love the most was that you guys put both of your personalities in the book. And there's even uh, where there's a part where it's like, hey, this is this is Julian talking, this is Kirsten talking. And one of the uh, and you, to see there was parts where it was like blended, and then to see like a little bit of the separation was so cool because it was like you got a fully rounded communication style. And I remember one of my favorite lines was Kirsten's. Um, it was when you first met Julian, and you said, "When he walked in, my heart did the wobble." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that is such a genius line. Like it just, I don't know. I've, I've never forgotten that line when I read it. Um, I was like, wow, that is a, this is just one of the best lines I've ever heard. Um, so it was fantastic. Yeah. Can I ask you guys one last question? Um, I know something that you're really big on is like making more money. You know, there's two ways to improve your financial situation, spend less, make more. So what is one practical thing that somebody could do, you know, immediately um if they're listening to this that would help them kind of make more money because that sounds like a really big task but i imagine it's a lot simpler so what's one thing that they could do to kind of start on that track sell something take one item mm. out of your home that you do not use or you don't use enough or you bought and you have buyer's remorse and just put mm. it on facebook marketplace or ebay or any of these platforms and i want you to know what it feels like to have mm. an amount an outsized amount of demand for something that you've mm. been staring at <laughs> that's been collecting yeah. dust mm. in your home mm -hmm. i want you to feel all of the pings of the people who want this thing and hopefully there's like, you know, a, a bidding more, you know, maybe somebody wants to pay more than the other person. But like that feeling is to me a superpower when it comes to solving problems. Mm. There are so many people who have never experienced that. And so when they need money, they go into all of these extremes of how to get it. They got to go back to school or they got to do something like, you know, sign up for a promotion at work that's going to take them away from their families versus mm -hmm. just looking around and recognizing that the internet is more than just a place to keep up with high school classmates and mm -hmm. cat memes. It is a global marketplace. <laughs> and so if whether it is an object that you have in your house or a skill, a secret skill that you have, whether it's voiceover or translation services or mm -hmm. illustration, whatever it is, you can put it out there on the internet and there will be somebody who is looking for that thing at that time. The, mm -hmm. the scale of the internet is huge. And so my first uh, tip would be to start local, start with something like, you know, a Facebook marketplace, or even if you don't feel comfortable selling, you can join a buy nothing group and just give it away. The point is to recognize that there is demand for the things that you already mm -hmm. have, and then get over mm -hmm. the hump of not being willing to exchange that value for that somebody else sees in your thing for money. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a one each. Um, but I, I would just say to embrace technology. Um, there are technological solutions for just about everything that you can think of. And so I'm, I'm old enough to remember that you had to learn how to code in order to build an app. Well, now you don't have to know how to build an app, to build a website. Uh, honestly, you can look at a movie on Netflix and say, wow, I could never do that. And trust me, well, maybe not at that level. I'm not saying that you can make an avatar, uh, you know, but you can without question. Uh, produce a movie or a documentary mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. run a multimedia company. You could do all of those things without actually mastering any of the technical skills today. Mm -hmm. The internet has made those things available. It's just a matter of mm -hmm. finding someone who does it, identifying uh, who the people or the companies or products or services that they have behind them that have made it so seamless and easy for them. Uh, and then sort of unlocking your creativity, right? Because I'm telling you, like, I yeah. cannot think of a single thing that can't be done 
by embracing some type of service or company or something like that. And so we live in a really interesting creative time, which is why the creator economy is so huge. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say for all the people out there who just even have an idea, like just having an idea, there are tons of tools out there that can help bring that to life through audio, video, graphic design, Mm -hmm. name it. And uh, just by publishing it, you can start to earn money. And so it's really just a matter of like believing in your ideas enough Mm -hmm. to spend time with them, organize them, uh, and then sharing them with the world and letting people enjoy it for money. And the more you do it, the more you get paid. And um, it's Mm -hmm. a really really interesting and fascinating world. I love that. Can I ask you one last question? I know that was her last, but can I ask you one last? <laughs> You really are like me. One okay. final question after this <laughs> final question. <laughs> Just one more, yeah. There, in the beginning, you talked about um, how the, the system hasn't worked for everyone, you know, um, here in America particularly. And, you, you know, I'm... I might be, I'm, I'm, well, a lot of people say white. I'm actually Lebanese, but you know, it's, it's all, it's, that's not how most people will see it. So it's all good. Right. Um, but how would you, if there is any difference from your experience, what is the difference between achieving like some amount of economic success um, between your world being black and someone who isn't black in America? It, what's different about it? And maybe what do people that are from the other side of the spectrum not know that would be interesting for them to hear? Be like, oh, I didn't, I never thought about that. Mm. Mm. Uh, There are a lot of different ways I can answer that question, but I'll I'll highlight one particular point because I think it's one that most people are familiar with, um, but I think it just helps people to realize how much progress just hasn't been made. And so um, in our series, Money on the Table, season two, we actually interviewed Kirsten's grandmother. And Mm -hmm. during that conversation, her grandmother's what, 95 now? 90. 90, excuse me. Don't don't kill me, Miss Mary. (laughs) (laughs) She she shared with us that uh, when she was a little girl, she was a sharecropper uh, mm. and she enjoyed sharecropping. She was like she looked forward to it because she got to spend time with her friends. And so when you think about our generation and we look back at this time period of sharecropping, which many of us just think of as the period after slavery, like a long time ago, because like first of all, there are still people alive who used to be sharecroppers such mm-hmm. as Kirsten's grandmother. Um, secondly, we think about just how deeply unfair like that business dealing was, right? Mm-hmm. Like basically mm-hmm. you get to work on this land in exchange for housing. And I'm using mm-hmm. uh, air quotes here, but you get to reap like a very, very tiny fraction of the output that you create. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to 2022, where even right now with all the progress that we've made, all the sort of like, you know, progress, there's no better word than progress, right? Uh, but even now, um, on average, people of color, or well, specifically Black people, are paid 87 cents to the dollar for mm-hmm. the same work uh, that their peers are made, right? So I'm using this sharecropping sort of thing mm-hmm. imbalance to sort of bring this to light. It's even worse for Black women. Um, it's closer to, I want to say, 67 cents wow. to the dollar. Uh, and... It's gotten worse. It's getting worse. We're going in the wrong direction, right? And so when you think about how most people make their money, which is through a job, the fact that that is not something that we have solved for yet, like just pure equality for the work and the value Mm -hmm. that we bring and the fair contribution that we bring, despite Black women being the latest cohort of earning bachelor's degrees in the country, despite all of these things, despite checking the boxes of qualification, Mm -hmm. they've been rewarded with the highest student loan balance, 
um, versus any other group in the country and earning pennies on the dollar for the same work, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I think about my son, who's now five years old, there's a very strong likelihood that he's going to look at me with the same sense of bewilderment that we look at Kirsten's grandmother, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. My son is going to look back at this time period and still say, well, damn, dad, but that still is kind of weird because like, why would he, he's right to ask or even wonder why would you even accept that imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is sort of where we are. These are the kinds of things that we think about. And I get it. It's exhausting. It doesn't feel good to talk about those things. Um, This is why we do it over food, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is why we do it over food because no one wants to talk about wealth inequality and racism and how pervasive Mm -hmm. these issues are. But if you do it over steamed mussels with like a little bit of fresh herbs and white wine and you can stop the bread, which is like the best part. That's my favorite. It's the favorite part. (laughs) At least we can like sort of talk about it from that standpoint. And um, it just sort of helps to take the edge off of it. So I think that's one of the glaring um, differences in the way that we all live, because I think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people, uh, even Paul, when you talk about our book, when I think about who that book is for, we wrote about it from a Black perspective and for Black Mm -hmm. professionals. But I also think it's one of those uh, rare opportunities that people who aren't Black have an opportunity to sort of get into Mm -hmm. the mindset of people, you know, we're sharing thoughts and ideas and experiences that we would not normally have shared mm-hmm. with workers who are not outside of that group. And so it's it's important from that standpoint, if nothing else. But to answer your question, I think it that's one of the most critical issues, I think, that are uh, that we accept today. And uh, mm-hmm. hopefully it's something that my son does not have to look back on and say, wow, hopefully we will have solved for it by the time he's old enough to notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super. That was one thing I really loved uh, about reading the book was I got to see kind of like the food, like I'm by myself, you know, like I don't have to like have this aggressive conversation with anyone, but I have time to pause and think. And and then I think the other interesting thing for me, although I don't have the same obvious like experiences as you do and not the same ethnicity, one of the really interesting things was to me is my family was like jerk poor growing up. Mm -hmm. And I realized that some of the you guys talked about like rooting out like some mentalities that have lasted for a long time and passed on generation to generation. I actually noticed like for myself, I was like, why do I think that? And like Kirsten and Julian are totally right. Like, and I'm like, Oh, my parents probably think that because they were super poor and like, and they're, they're not anymore, but like that same, they have like the same mentality. I was like, I think the same thing because I grew up that way. Mm -hmm. And so I have the same mindset and it was like really helpful for me. It was kind of like that mirror that you talked about, like in a very non-obtrusive way, like, Hey, here's our perspective. Here's here's some things, and I'm like, cool. I'm, I'm like reading it, and I'm like, oh man, that I see. I see. Even then, I saw a lot of myself in some of the mentalities, and I was like, oh wow, that's really interesting. And then you could see in the broader culture, like how has that affected different people differently, you know? And that was really cool. So yes. thank you for sharing your story and being personal and transparent. Um, check out the book. You got to check it out. It's called Cashing Out. Uh, Richandregular.com. You will learn so much about money and in a really cool way. Uh, mm-hmm. Money on the table. We can talk about money and food at the same time. So get everyone involved. Um, and then when you guys come out, we have Optimus Hall here, which is like a, a bazillion of our best restaurants under one roof. We will take you, Julian and Kirsten, and you guys can tell us. Uh, we can all get all different kinds of food from eating yes. yes. all on the same table. And we can just share it all around and be a blast. So. Oh, that would be so much fun. I love it. Thank you all so much yeah, for coming Thank you on. very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to How to Fairy Tale. You can find all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you want to stay up with our show, suggest a guest, or ask us a question, we'd love to hear from you at our Instagram handle, How to Fairy Tale.